The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Break, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. A very bitter Jay Sandoz. I don't know what Keith Break's doing, but I am bitter. Keith, I'm going to start with this. I hate the Chargers. <laughs> I hate the Chargers. I hate the Chargers. I would have had a bold prediction. I'm looking at it now because, gosh, golly, bum gee willikers. I don't want to say a lot more harsher words than that, but that uh, is, yeah, that's, and that's I realize, Jay with the filter on. I realize on. it's a podcast, and I probably could get away with it, but we're in ETSU, and I like to be, you know, I could always go back and bleep friendly. it later. You don't have to just yeah, post it right true. away. You just, that's true. You FTP it to me, and I'll uh, take care of it. All right, so uh, the women's basketball seven threes <laughs> did not come into play. No. Uh, the 15 and 10 double-double for Jalen Hayes did not come into play. But I thought – and I actually turned off the Charger game because I thought, you know what? I'm going to get the first win of three road teams in the super wild card, whatever they're calling it, uh, extra large style wild card weekend. And then I woke up and realized the Chargers didn't win. And then I was like, you know what? Home teams are winning. The Giants win. Tom Brady's never lost to Dallas. Probably it, they'll win. And then I'm just like, fine. I would not have missed out by the Chargers being the Chargers. And I know a couple of Chargers fans believe that. I know a couple of Jaguars fans, too. Mm. But for the Chargers fans. I figured you know more Jags fans than the others just because the proximity to the AFC South and all the Floridas that come up here. I'm thinking I only know. Well, let's think about that. I know two, three. I know three of each that are like staunch, legit, like diehard fans of both those teams okay that being said the fact that that cost me what i thought was a very good bold prediction (laughs) and the the one that you i think voted least likely to happen which in fairness if you look at traditionally speaking and records of playoff home teams it does but i'm upset okay i don't know how was your week my weekend was was uh uh, I did survive uh, with no injuries. Uh, yes, we'll, we'll we, talk we about might have that. Been the only ones that walked away unscathed from Saturday. Uh, boy, that was that was tough to watch. That was tough to sit through, and just you know, you feel for the kids in those situations where they're so banged up, and um, you know, you see something like what happened to Josh in the first minute and a half of the game, and that just it just it, it's. And that was the third be, one of the day. That was the third one of the day with women's basketball as well, which I know we'll get to in a little bit. But um, things not looking great on the injury front for ETSU basketball, and it's amazing how much your season can change in that short period of time. Because now, Jay, we talked about it before. Uh, this, oh, when, the, when everybody's on the floor, they look like a different team. Well, you're not going to have everybody on the floor. Probably potentially for the rest, the rest of, of the, the regular season. season, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, depending on the status of Brock Jancic, who's almost day-to-day every day, and the running joke is not everybody day-to-day every day, but uh, yeah. still with it being, you know, in jeopardy there, there's a lot of games you could play, you know, a couple of guys down. And yep. The next man up mentality is more than that. I mean, it's 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 going to hit him in the face because 
Reports are that Josh Taylor expected back around Southern Conference tournament time. Now, yep. that depends on the healing of Josh Taylor, as, as Desmond mm-hmm. Oliver said last night on the coaches' show. Is there a chance he could come back earlier? Yes, it, it's his left wrist is non. You know, he's right-handed, but there's mm-hmm. still obviously things you have to do with your left hand, left wrist, and shooting, rebounding, dribbling, all the other things. Right. There's also a chance that his season could be done. Yes. And it just depends how it is. So they're going to move forward and a little bit of unknown in the next week or so they will know more. Um, and they'll probably get a second opinion just to double check. And again, you know, depending on swellings and things and um, outlook could change. But right now, I would say if you're a Buck fan, the realistic expectation is probably not until the Southern Conference Tournament, I would start there. And if you get better news that he could come back earlier, great, right? Santa Claus came way early. Absolutely. You know, 10 months earlier. If he can't Or two months late and better late than never, however you want to frame it. Yeah, if you got the coal early and then uh, you're getting your gift later because you've been good. Yeah, if if he comes back for, you know, the Citadel or UNC Greensboro, hey, that's that's awesome. But um, expectation, I think, should start with you. Like you're saying, the baseline is this is going to be probably six weeks Minimum, SoCon tournament. Yeah, I, I, I that's what I, I, I think we shoot there as Buck fans. Mm-hmm. I think we shoot there, and number one, we hope it's a speedy recovery because think about he's playing really good, especially coming off the LSU. He just came back off a concussion, and then he goes on the concussion. He just came back, had a good game. I thought a solid thirteen and six with not a lot of preparation time for the Citadel. Yes. Uh, He's getting ready to – I thought they worked him in the game plan. They had an alley-oop for him on the first play. He's got a breakaway, a chance at a dunk. Flagrant one. You can see the video yourself, how you feel about the flagrant one. It's oh, I feel a way about it. It. Um, I think Greg Gary did too. Because, one, he went and berated his guy. The referee got onto him, and Coach Gary looked at the referee to say, I'm yelling at my guy for the play. And they kept, while reviewing it, I read his lips one time. He's like, why are you still reviewing it? Like, he said, it's a flagrant. Like, I mean, yeah. now, should have been upgraded to a two. We could debate that on a um, – or we could debate it now. We could debate it any other time. But, I, you know, the point was it was definitely a flagrant, deserving of a flagrant, called a flagrant, minute 15 or whatever it was mm-hmm. into the game. But that was a heavy piece of the game plan was going to be uh, Josh Taylor, at least in the games of concussion when you know he's not going to be in there. You know, you work your game plans around that, right? Mm-hmm. How many times have you seen that in a lot of sports where, you know, uh, you know, we're game planning heavy for this guy or that? He goes out, no, and I got to try to adjust. And mm-hmm. yes, they work on other plays and they have other sets and they do whatever. But if you're trying to make somebody a focal point of your game plan, and he goes out or she goes out early in a game, I think that that game changes dramatically what you're trying to accomplish. And for Josh Taylor, it was a little scary. Me and you've talked about this, yeah. and I've talked to a few other fans that saw him kind of shaking. And I- yeah, the people behind me. I was sitting behind you at Freedom Hall for the game, and I heard people in the in the stands like turning to each other, going, "His hands are shaking." Like he's, I I worried that it was something honestly more serious than that. But it makes sense, you know, given a severe wrist injury. I thought he, you know, landed hard on his tailbone the way that he did, and he's not necessarily like the beefiest guy he's a big long guy but he's not necessarily the beefiest guy there's not a lot back there for him to him to break his fall with so I was worried that he had maybe done something even more serious than that um but uh yeah still really just 
gutted for Josh. I saw him after the game. Um, he seemed kind of out of it, and possibly that's because he was given something for the pain that just kind of helps him manage and um, and all that. But um, I wanted them to give me something for the pain because after watching Courtney Moore kind of bang knee to knee, then watching uh, Rufus Milner, Jayla go down in a, oh. in a non-contact, and her clearly in pain, and then seeing Josh's like physically shaking and, and adrenaline and and everything shock and, and trauma and all the other words like at some point in time i almost want to know if the doc could bring me something like i, I was given the bullpen sign like not come get me like no. cut me i don't know if i needed a cut man or not <laughs> oh, just cut boy. me see what happened yeah it was it was scary to watch in person like that um and uh I, i'm glad i'm glad that um there wasn't a, a significant issue beyond just the wrist because you know broken but as, as much as i'm gonna miss seeing Josh out there, that stuff will heal. If something more serious were to happen from the way he landed on the court, um, that, that would be really scary. But um, yeah, I will talk about that play. There is absolutely nothing valid, nothing good, no amount of good defense can be manifested from going up there and just taking a blind swing at a dude going in for a dunk. What are you thinking? I don't. I mean, flagrant one, flagrant two, whatever. It is a flagrant foul. It's barely any kind of basketball play. Um, that is that's something that I think the NCAA needs to take a longer look at and say: Should this specific type of contact, like he's clearly going up, he's clearly going to score, fly in there, cream the guy, and then he gets like, should that? be a flagrant one or should it be something more serious um i think it i i i think you could have justified a flagrant two um but it was just not a sensible basketball play and however the guy if the guy feels bad about it if his coach feels bad about it um it happened and the guy thought in the heat of the moment that the best thing he could do is go up there and derail Josh Taylor's season. And that's, you know, flagrant one is not an, an equitable response to that. So it's not the fault of the officials. They're enforcing the rules as they see them. I'm not blaming them for it. Um, I'm blaming the guy who went up there and did something that's just by all accounts is dirty. Like, just don't go back, watch that play. And just show that to your kids and say, if you ever do this, I will run you until your legs fall off. Like, just draw a hard line that this is not acceptable in 21st century basketball. Because it wasn't acceptable in 20th century basketball. Sometimes we like to think that the, the late 80s, early 90s with the bad boy Pistons and all that was just a street fight where there happened to be a ball and some lines on the floor. And that's not the way it was. Those teams got disciplined for that stuff. So let's draw a harder line and enact a higher standard on what constitutes fair play and then just not do this stuff where we ruin kids' seasons for the sake of preventing two points. I think, and, and somebody challenged me this because I say this all the time, hard foul, right, but you don't let them score. But I also, they left out a word. I say a hard, clean foul, and you don't let them score. And I often say, and 
preface when I say hard foul, I don't mean injury. I don't mean a non-basketball play. I'm just saying you hit a guy, like if they're going up for a shot and you're trying to block a shot and you can't get to it and you hit their arms or you bump them off the thing, there's a difference. And I think if you've played or watched basketball long enough, I think normal fan understands when I say hard, clean foul, don't let them score – but you don't injure somebody. Right. You don't take out a leg. You don't do whatever. So, and so when I, a guy is in the air, it's 10 times more dangerous to go up there and foul him than it is when he's on the floor. There are a lot of times where guys will wrap up, and I don't mean like around the waist wrap up, but like they'll get a little bit of the ball and kind of grab the arms or, or something. Somebody's sure. about to shoot the ball going up. Like, so – because I, I did get challenged because, it, again, I think people – and I think people around the league listen to some of the things that, that we say, we talk about it and all that. And I've said that before, and I've said it during broadcast. But I do want to clarify. I was challenged a little bit on it. What I say is a hard, clean foul where you don't compound it by letting a guy score. Basically, the touch foul for no reason. And we've seen that a thousand times where a guy kind of goes in there and flails at a guy on a fast break. I'm like, well, if you're going to do that, at least make a better effort to knock the ball away, you know, instead of just barely uh, ticky-tacking it. But in the same token, I still normally say one way or another, either use the word clean or not try to hurt somebody because that is completely different. A good, clean, hard foul is still viable in basketball. What we saw there, and I'm not saying that Sean Walker Jr. is a dirty player. Let me be clear. I, I've he's played five years against ETSU. There's nothing I've watched. I watched a lot of Southern Conference basketball games. Never seen anything from him to say that this is his third, fourth offense, and he's a dirty player. That particular play might have been dirty, but I don't think he overall is a dirty player I think that just happened to be a dirty play when he the moment where he made a bad decision and he needs to make a better or any player needs to make a better decision because there was a way to foul Josh Taylor where he's not injured and I would be saying this if we had an ETSU player that would have had a flagrant one against a Mercer player that would have broke a wrist and put him out I would have the same take because again I'm all for the hard clean foul I am not for the dirty foul where someone is injured two free throws in the ball is not an equitable punishment for what that was that's not an equitable it doesn't, it doesn't balance things out it's not it's not anywhere close to like ameliorating the impact of um the the the, the injury the foul itself the act itself um i'm still pretty upset about it and and you know maybe this is not something that he's done before, that Walker has done before. Maybe it's not his reputation, but he still did it. And now ETSU has to live with the consequences of his bad decision. And that's just... I just hate that. I hate it. I hate it when any team has to... to again, this is true when any player on any team is injured by, the, by a deliberate act of another player is... He went up with the intent to foul him hard. He screwed it up, and he hurt him. He broke his wrist. Uh, well, that's, like, may, maybe you need to reevaluate what you're trying to do in that moment. Maybe you need to reevaluate 
what you're trying to, are, are you going for the ball? Are you going for the body? Because again, when a guy is off the ground, and that ha this happens a lot in men's basketball, guys get off the ground because they got ridiculous verticals and they are not afraid to use them and they are encouraged to use them by the rules of the game. When a guy is in the air like that, going up for the, the, the tank foul or the professional foul or whatever you want to call it, where you're not going to be able to prevent him from scoring without violating the laws of the game uh, is extremely dangerous. And this is something that I'm surprised it doesn't happen more. Some people might look at it and say it's a fluke, but I think we need to reevaluate the severity of a foul when a player is airborne like Taylor was. Because the consequences of getting it wrong, which Walker did, the consequences of getting it wrong greatly outweigh the benefits of getting it right at that point. And on top of that, the guy that got it wrong doesn't bear the consequences of getting it wrong. Or at least not most of the consequences. It's deeply disproportionate. So this is something that to me needs to be looked at by a rules committee. And you say, are we still okay with this being the punishment for this specific type of foul where these sorts of dangerous incidents can happen. They have happened before. They haven't necessarily, they don't necessarily happen nightly, but they have happened before and they will happen again. Are we okay with this when it's clear that the risks of doing this are not in balance with the consequences of getting it wrong? The risk to the other team of doing this. The risk to the other player, the risk to the fouled player is immensely higher than if the guy was on a ground on the ground, you know, turning around for a hook shot, maybe he's like a set shot layup or something and you go in there and you just whack him on the arm and you miss and you, you know, I don't know, you get him on a shoulder or something or you get him a little high and that's a flagrant one and that's two free throws in the ball. That's fine. I can live with that. But it's different when a guy gets hit up high versus a guy gets taken out for the season. And I think those need to be adjudicated differently. That's all I have to say about it. So I want to talk a little bit about the game. I thought uh, <laughs> Jordan King, you know, came off the 42, the Uranian Southern Conference Player of the Week, saw a lot of people all over him, as I would imagine. 13 points. And here's yeah. the deal. We've seen King be all over the map. I said after the 42-point game, mm -hmm. I would like him to average about 17 the rest of the season. Now, that means he's going to have 12, 13-point games, and eventually he's going to have, you know, 20, 22-point games, right? So, Well, right now he's at 27 and a half. For the two games. But even <laughs> if you go back, I mean, he's shooting almost 70 – or not 70, he's shooting uh, almost 47% in league play so all the things and again he shot 44 percent league play just, which good number for a jump shooter he yeah did, he didn't he didn't take a, a large number of threes just three attempts one of three four mm -hmm. or five from the line of course the bucks were ridiculous from the free throw line finally yeah. they, they started year great then they couldn't hit one it didn't lead to a win but they were at least 13 of 15 mm -hmm. i mean they took more free throws than the the opposing team attempted and i'm going to talk about that in a second in another game because which that's usually good. a yeah. stat that tells me that you're usually going to win a game. Now, not steadfast. There's clearly times it's not, but you hit 13 free throws, other team attempts, eight. I mean, generally you're going to have a, a good day. Justice Smith, I thought, was – he had 
two turnovers. I'm not real sure he has got Sadowitz, so he ended up with four turnovers. But you look at the rest of his stat line. 17 points, 5 of 10 shooting, 1 of 2 from 3, 6 of 6 from the line, 6 rebounds, a couple assists. And his defense is getting better still. Just one personal foul. We've mm-hmm. seen a lot of times this year where he'll have three fouls pretty quickly and have to yep. sit on the bench and you're just – so he's – I think he's getting better. Plus, Jaden Seymour continues to be efficient the last four or five games, five of six shooting. He's not taking as many threes. He took one. He did hit it. Mm-hmm. But they, they've given him the, the – the what did he say? The strong yellow light <laughs> for Seymour. <laughs> the flashing yellow. And, and when Seymour yellow. took the three – flashing yellow, that was the word. The um, – when he took the three, that was six, five, six seconds on the shot clock. Yep. They're going to live with that three from Jaden Seymour. They don't want the 22-second three-point shot Correct. from Jaden Seymour. I, I wouldn't want a 22-second three from anybody. I, I agree. I mean, it, it would have to be, let's say King or Tipplers hit one or two already, mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. And if you hit it, then you get the green light again. Yep. If you miss it, you know what, champ, you gave that an effort. Let's wait and run, run to play a little more. And then five rebounds for Seymour because I think he's turned a nice little corner on trying to go rebound. So, with Taylor being out, Seymour gets elevated, I think, back to the starting lineup to get the link. Yeah. I like what Jaden Seymour's been able to do. I think Justice Smith is starting to earn where he's not getting the 24-25 minutes. He's now getting 28-31 to 31 minutes, and he's starting to produce not just offensively, but to me it's the defensive side that's mm-hmm. helped him. Uh, and he's got a little bit of length, and he's a big, strong dude, I mean, yeah. in all honesty. And he's long enough, he's athletic enough, he's quick enough, and, and he's had that that desire to jump into the passing lanes and tip the ball and and you know disrupt the other team's offense that can turn into runouts and those sorts of things. Um, Smith shot the ball pretty well. Granted, some of those shots were later. You know, the game was kind of already out of hand at that point. Um, he did have the one lead pass in the general vicinity of Braden Illick that I was not a huge fan of, um, which... Yes, why, why, and I don't know this, but why do the guards try to get rid of the basketball as fast as humanly possible in the backcourt and either throw a a bad pass Mm -hmm. that leads to a turnover or a pass that if somebody caught, what were they going to do with it? Right, right. Instead of dribbling the ball, like... Tipler had one too, where I was like, he yes, if he, he would did. have just dribbled, it would have been like a four on two, and he had options. But instead, he tried to throw it ahead, and I don't. And that was what doomed ETSU was decision making. It was flat out decision making was not up to the standard it needs to be up to. And um, I I mean I look at seventeen was it seventeen points or no it was uh, fifteen points off seventeen turnovers. By by Mercer, fifteen points for Mercer off seventeen turnovers. Literally the difference in the ball game at that point. Um, a lot of things can change if you cut the turnover number in half and you cut the points off turnovers number in half. Let's say you so let's say it's uh, nine turnovers and it's eight points. Okay, well now it's a five point game, and also maybe instead of those other whatever, uh, eight turnovers, you score six points. Now you win the game. That's the difference. That's the difference right there. It was ETSU just repeatedly made bad decisions with the basketball in terms of when to pass, in terms of where to pass, uh, and it doomed them uh, over the course of the 40 minutes. And and really, I, I thought Mercer 
really took command of the game, kind of like we've seen with teams in the past against ETSU, the way Western Carolina did, the way Furman did. You remember when they went like one for 12 and then they just, the threes wouldn't stop falling at the end of the first half. Mercer hits shots and they go on what, like a seven nothing run at the end of the first half. They take the lead and then they put their foot on the gas in the second half. Um, and, and they were able to get, you know, they, they were able to snowball some of the bad decisions by ETSU into points, into a bigger lead. And the Bucks have a lot to clean up before Sanford comes in here tomorrow night, a team that has been playing really, really well going primarily through Logan Die in SoCon play and maybe about to get Quez Glover back. So this is, uh, there's, there's a lot of work still to be done. And this group's going to ride the roller coaster a little bit. There are going to be some games that they should win that they don't win. Honestly, I think Saturday was one of them. There are going to be some games where you think they're going to get run out of the building and they fight it all the way to the wire and they might even pull two or three of them out like they did with Wofford. So uh, this is, uh, this is, I think this is just what this team is. It's just an adventure and... There are going to be times where everybody's locked in and everybody's making crisp passes and and doing what they need to do with the basketball. And then there are going to be times where you get just too aggressive and you get past aggressive and you get to reckless and you're making you know bad decisions with the ball, live ball turnovers, turned into runouts, turned into points, and that's how teams beat you, especially at home. That's how teams have beaten ETSU is taking advantage of mistakes and live ball turnovers. And that's how I think Queens, um, I think one uh, here, uh, UNC Asheville, of course they had the Pember Jumper at the end, but I think they capitalized on a lot of turnovers and certainly Western Furman and now Mercer have all done the same thing. So a couple numbers, and then I'm going to transfer to some Southern Conference uh, men's basketball talk, but Jordan King in league play is 16.2. Yes. So, that's it. so if he, he sticks around, like I said, if he sticks around 17, I, I think that, you know, forget some of the stuff in the non-con, but if he can stick around there, I think ETSU's got a chance to be successful. Another guy in league play that stepped up tremendously, Jaden Seymour's averaging 9.3 points and eight boards a game. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is another number to look out for. Now, I'm also going to throw this at you, some, some extrapolating here. Uh-oh. Jordan King went 0 for 9 and then went for 42. DeAnthony Tipler goes 0 for 7. Does that mean he goes for 35? <laughs> uh, would be nice. I would love to see it. You're not willing to throw that on the bold prediction board, are you, uh, Keith? Is that what you're telling me? Man, uh, I don't know. that. Is, is he going to – yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Like, if he's if he's just knocking down shots – I mean, he's got a potential to hit eight threes as well. Oh, absolutely. I just think, like, do you – do you let him roll because that's your best chance to win on a given night? Or do you do you still play him his rotation minutes? I would have to think you let it ride a little bit longer with whoever is doing that, whether it's King, whether it's Tipler. Um, and Tip, I think Tip would even be the first person to tell you he played his worst game of the year on Saturday. That was, that was not um, his standard. It was not the standard he set for himself. Uh, I do expect him to come out with a little bit of fire on Wednesday and uh, play play with a little bit more um, gumption, 
maybe a good word for it. Well, he's he was or is averaging in league play almost thirty minutes a game. He only got twenty one the other day when struggling. So yeah, obviously, if you get thirty minutes a game, I I think you can have some opportunity there. And for I think sure. I think he'll bounce back just like Jordan. He will. Back. He'll he'll still have he's still got plenty of good games to give this team this season. But uh, that was that was a tough one, especially to have in that particular spot. And the same could be said of Jalen Haynes as well. But I I also think Mercer did a lot early to try to take away the paint and and not let Haynes have the catch on the block where he could just easily, you know, turn and put put their bigs in a blender and do what he's done to so many teams this year where he's got the great footwork and um, you just can't let that guy catch. And I think teams have kind of figured that out and they're starting to do some other things to be aggressive against Jalen. They'll double him. They'll uh, front him a little bit more on the catch and and just not let him get the basketball or get a clean look. Because if he gets any kind of glimpse of the rim, it's going in. And he was forced into some tough shots when he was able to get shots at all. And uh, that was just, you know, I thought that was a well-executed game plan by Mercer. But again, that's because ETSU just, you know, they don't have a lot of options that people are super anxious about. You mentioned Seymour. And Seymour's been great in SOCOM play. Like, he, I really feel like Jaden has turned a corner. But you also look and say... Seymour's going to take one three a game. He's going to take it late in the shot clock. Um, if they score on that, they score on us that way. We'll live with it and and move on. I think that's defenses. Other teams will game plan for Seymour that way is don't let him get to the rim because he's a freaky athlete. He can jump out of the gym. Uh, if we force him into a late shot clock three and he hits it, tip your cap to him, move on. Um, I think that's going to be extremely um, important for ETSU going forward is finding guys that can stretch the floor and make uh, teams guard Haynes one-on-one on the block where you maybe don't have a guy that's as, as able to get in front of him and or maybe he draws fouls like on a reach foul or something like that trying to front the guy um, you let Haynes set up on the block post up on the block one-on-one no help for, for his matchup in the paint, easy catch, easy turn, one way, then the other, defender falling all over himself, and up for two. Um, if you want to get those reliable twos that you were able to feed Haynes with at the beginning of the year, you got to be able to space the floor. And that may require, I mean, ideally it would have been Taylor, would have been your floor spacer, because he can he can just park in the corner, drive and kick from Struthers, open look at a three, and Taylor was like, I don't know. He was probably he he hit a handful of threes the last handful of games he was in, um, but he was starting to get that percentage up there. Was getting more comfortable with that shot. He finished forty three percent from three um, before the injury. He was forty three percent from three, and he was three of his last seven. So, like that's a guy that could have been that guy, and now you don't have him probably until the conference tournament. So how do you fill that void? Can I mean, Braden Illick is a five by size. He can step out and shoot it a little bit. Is he ready to take on a bigger role? Well, you may not have a choice, uh, but that's that's clearly a, a guy that, um, that Desmond Oliver and the staff are willing to put out there for at least a little bit of time. He played 10 minutes against Mercer, and he's going to continue, I would imagine, to get sizable minutes going if he played 26 minutes against Furman I don't know that they want him to play quite that much but he is going to play a little bit more uh going forward and 
in order to get your best players the best looks, you need other players that the defense has to look at and say, we need to do something to take this guy away because this guy, you know, creates, we have a bad matchup here and we need to, you know, do this, 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 this. And if we leave, you know, we, we have to roll the dice a little bit and maybe put one defender on DeAnthony Tipler on the perimeter, one post defender on Jalen Haynes on the block. Um, you know, you have to make make the other team make sacrifices defensively. And ETSU just has not had all of the guys firing on all the cylinders at the same time where teams are forced to make those adjustments. You thought it was the ending, but it's not. All right. I'm still going to talk over it. So I got a lot to talk about. Southern Conference basketball. SoCon basketball. And I'm going to start with an apology. I'm going to start with an apology. Oh. I doubted UNCG. Yeah, I'm going to have to give an apology because. Oh, man. The fact that they won a game that was above the 60s, number one. Yeah. Then they go to Timmins Arena, number two. And yes, SoCon John did send me my favorite stat, which was UNCG from the line on the road, 33 of 41. Wow. Furman, 17 of 20. 13 more makes than Furman had attempts. There's your and stat. 21 more. When you went on the road like that, there's where your stat comes into play. 21 more attempts, but more importantly, they had 13 more makes than Furman had attempts. Star stat. The last seven points in regulation for UNCG was at the line. Now, wow. I don't want to feel too sorry at some point because Furman was up 13 with nine to go. 69-56. Now, easiest way to get back in there, right? Get the free throw line. You get points that are um, going to be tossed up without no without the time running, all this other stuff. And then 11-3 UNCG, in a, and not a lot of free throws in overtime, mainly a lot of made buckets for UNCG as they pick up a huge 80-80 to 80 win. And that wasn't even the best comeback of the day. On ESPNU, if you didn't pay attention, Chattanooga up 19 at Sanford. Wow. And the Bulldogs, buckyball. When you got it, you've got it, right? Like I know. mean, so you look at Wednesday, and, and we backtracked just a little bit, and they were bloodbaths. I mean, ETSU 22 over the Citadel. It was 18 Furman over Mercer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was at 15 UNCG against VMI. It was almost 20 Chad against Western, which I was a little shocked with, and Sanford just obliterated Wofford uh, by more numbers than I can count. So I was a little shocked because the league had had so many tight games, and then you turn around and the Citadel at home, which we said is, and I know ETSU bested them, but the Citadel's got better chance to win at home. They knock off Western, so back-to-back losses for Western that was rolling. So I still don't know what to think about Western other than when they hit a lot of threes, they're good. And when they don't, they're not. But, six, you know, 4.1 there, 65-61. You go into overtime. I know UNCG ended up winning by eight, but that went to overtime. Mercer obviously walks into ETSU and wins. Now three of the last four trips. They've only won four times in 17 matchups with ETSU, but three of them have been in Freedom Hall. 
I don't know what it is. They just love playing there. Uh, Sanford, a one-point win against Chattanooga and the comeback, and then Wofford and poor VMI just is it's just – I don't know that – yeah. They're going to win one somewhere, and some, they're going to catch somebody. Somebody's going to be mad. It is, yes. VMI is going to hit enough shots one game that they're going to be mad, but, but VMI is in danger of being defeated, uh, I'm, I'm afraid. I, more likely, they'll get a home game with the cadets there on a Saturday. Enough shots, uh, shots will fall, and then they got a shot there. But, I mean, you look at the standings, and here the, the thing I thought I knew, I thought Sanford, Furman, and Chattanooga was tier one. And Furman's still right there in my Tier 1 with Sanford. But UNCG's moved up in the Tier 1. I think they have to. Chattanooga has struggled on the road. Um, one and three in league play on the road now. So, struggling. it, But two and oh at home. I mean, they're still holding serve at home. But they're three and three with Wofford, with Western Carolina, and ETSU, who's the opposite. Three and oh on the road. Oh and three at home on a six-game losing streak. Citadel's at two and four. Mercer now one and five, and VMI zero oh and six. And for the Bucks, boy, it doesn't get a whole lot easier because obviously Wednesday's a home game against Sanford. Then they got at Chattanooga, run it back at Mercer, run it back in Freedom Hall against Chattanooga. Tough little stretch for uh, ETSU, but uh, UNCG deserves a, a lot of credit. Mike Jones, we know, uh, phenomenal uh, coach at Radford. Uh, the Langley brothers playing good. Bass Light is starting to to come into his own. So, I mean, it's a nice squad. They do a lot of things defensively, but it's hard really to ignore UNCG. And Sanford, give them credit, a huge, what, couple-point win at UNCG in a barn burner. Then they won another close one at home against Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're just looking at at the standings, and it it's jumbled up. But right now, you're looking at it, you know, if, if, if they were to start – the tournament today i don't have any clue what all the tiebreakers be with the four three and three teams but chat wofford western and etsu would be battling to see who would be playing on friday Mm -hmm. with citadel mercer and vmi and that's one thing you want to avoid playing on Friday. So it will be a dogfight too. And, and all I, those teams haven't played each other, so I couldn't really do a good tiebreaker anyway. I do feel fairly confident that Citadel, Mercer, VMI are going to be playing on Friday. Like those three teams are going to be playing on Friday, and then one team from that other group is going to be playing with them. And that's a long, long road in the SOCON tournament. Also, can we talk about? I, I saw a. I'm not sure who the bracketology was from. Um, I'm a big fan of. Um, uh, Shelby Mast is a uh, is bracket wag. Um, it's a W A G. Uh, the first the W stands for wild and the G stands for guess. And I'll let you guess what the A stands for. Um, but uh, a lot of people in general have been kind of bearish on the SoCon champion in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Shelby has Furman as a 15. I saw somebody with Samford as the as a 16 in Dayton. In a play-in game, uh, those are like it. Just feels like the league is, in general is down this year, and sometimes that can create some fun scenarios where you got a lot of chaos, right? The team that keeps its nose clean is going to have the best chance to to run away with this thing. But even then, you just never know. Like you, you feel like you know, and then you, something you know, and then suddenly, like you think Mercer's bad because they're losing all those games by seventeen points. They go on the road and beat ETSU by thirteen. You think you know stuff, and then 
you realize how little you know. You think VMI is bad, and they will they will beat Western Carolina at some point, or or some other team that they should not beat, based on the caliber of those teams. They're going to beat uh, Wofford at some point. Like they're going to beat somebody, right? I mean, they just got boat raced by Wofford, but uh, they're going to beat somebody at some point that they probably shouldn't. Like the Citadel beating Chattanooga in Charleston. Those sorts of games are way more ripe to happen in this environment where the league as a whole is down than they are when the league is up and you have a clear top three or four teams that are just clearly like on paper and on the eye test are just way ahead of where everybody else in the league is. This is going to be chaotic, but be prepared for a disappointing outcome when it comes time for Selection Sunday for whoever the SoCon champion is. You're going to be in a really tough matchup. If you get in the playing game, the only saving grace of that is if you win the playing game, you, you get, get a second tournament unit. You, yes, and the the league does too. So yes. you get the only saving grace. If you're going to be in a 16, and we've told people this for years, pull to be in the plan. I know it makes no sense. Pull to be in a plan because if you win that, tournament win, and you get an extra share. You get twice as much money. Let's take a look at this week's games on the men's side, and we'll transition to the women. Then then we'll hit a little bumper and talk ETSU women's hoops. But Wofford at Western, this is on Wednesday, ETSU at Sanford. And then the big one, I think, Furman at Chattanooga. And the big one there yep. is, is it going to be, and I've already clicked off stand, but is it going to be for the men? Will it be the fourth loss for Chattanooga? Pooh. And they would be three and four, or does Chat and Furman tie at four and three? And it'd already be three losses for Furman. So that's a huge game for both squads, and it's in the roundhouse. So you kind of want to favor, or at least I will, favor a little bit Chattanooga there where they played much better at home. Then on Thursday, there's a couple Thursday games, Citadel, UNCG, Mercer at VMI. So Mercer could maybe look to pick up win number two. VMI may be thinking this is our best shot at home to pick up a win, except for the Citadel. And UNCG's got a chance to win two at home against the Citadel and then Saturday against Mercer. VMI will play the Citadel on Saturday, so VMI has to be thinking, if we're going to get one, these two games are our best chances at home. ETSU will go to the Roundhouse, as you know, and then West Carolina at Sanford, where I don't know a thing about West Carolina. They could hit 10-11 threes and actually win that game. Yes, they could. I I don't don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. And then Sunday – on ESPNU uh, from Spartanburg, it's the rivalry game, Furman and Wofford. And let me toss this at you. What if Furman were to lose on the road at Chattanooga, then have to go play their arch rival and, dare I say, drop another one? And would be sitting there, uh, what would that be, a four and four at that point. And in Wofford, uh, you know, I mean, they could win. Again, I don't know think of Western. I mean, Wofford could go win at Western for sure, but – I could see Western winning that by double figures, knocking down a bunch of threes. I could see Western upsetting Sanford on the road. I could also see Sanford winning by 21 at their place against Western Carolina. I, I just don't know. There were things I thought I knew about the year, and there's always something that baffles you. And then you will think you know something, and it will be disproven. It's exactly what I was just talking about. And Western is one of those I'm not real sure what to think. Now, switching – to the women's uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong, Keith. Who won the Southern Conference Football Championship? Uh, Sanford. It was Sanford, right? Sanford won it outright. 
Right. Who is the only undefeated team on the men's side? Uh, I believe that's Sanford. And who's the only undefeated team on the women's side? Uh, I think it's also Sanford. It is. It, I mean, for, for the Sanford Bulldogs that a few years ago were struggling in all three of the categories, maybe not women's basketball as much, but the men's side is starting to catch up football and men's basketball. Uh, to Carly Kuntz and her squad at ETSU just saw. They've now won six in a row overall, but they are 4-0 and sitting atop league play. It is the second time they have started 4-0 and since joining the SOCON in 2008, and that was 2021, also under Kuntz. So they're, they're rolling right now. Andrea Bailey's just a special player. And, you know, Mock said after the game, if we had Courtney Moore and Jayla Rufus-Milner for the whole game, I think we win, and I think she's absolutely right. Um... They were that close to Sanford. They got it down to, what, two, three points with two minutes left. Just could not get over the hump uh, against a really good Bulldogs group that hit some shots. They have some length. ETSU was good at frustrating that length uh, early, but eventually Ngulafak was able to break through and get 10 or 12 points. Uh, and that was um, that's one that I think has been kind of emblematic of the start of SOCOM play and um, – Golly, the, the loss of, of Jayla Rufus-Milner and, and Courtney Moore in the first half. In the span of about 10 minutes, they lost them both. Um, still not certain what exactly their status is, um, but the, uh, the the official or the word from the coaching staff is um, Jayla Rufus-Milner is probably done for the year, and Courtney Moore is probably going to return to play at some point. So no more specifics than we anticipate Loss for the uh, Jayla Rufus Milner loss for the year. I be, I am not a hundred percent certain, so I don't want to say it with confidence. But I believe JJ has another year of eligibility. Um, she has the COVID year, I believe, still. Uh, and Courtney Moore, um, we certainly hope to see her back sooner rather than later. But um, you know, they even they if if they lost Courtney, she got she got in a scrum and then just you know. You know, banged a knee against somebody else's knee and ended up on the floor. And uh, she wasn't walking around crutches or anything. She was walking around under her own power uh, in the second half. Didn't have any ice or anything on it. So um, did appear needed knee was was pretty yeah. evident on the replay. But those aren't the ones that scare you, right? It's the ones that scare you is, is the non-contact, which was JJ, and she slapped the floor, and you you like when she was down, and she, you knew it was bad. Um, you knew it was bad, uh, but. They lost Courtney, and they still went up nine. And you're thinking, okay, well, yeah, we can fight through some adversity and win this game. And then Rufus Milner goes down, and then you're like, uh, you can just feel the air rush out of the building. Because ETSU started that game hot. They led by nine with, what, two minutes left in the half. And then, you know, Wheeler comes down and bang, bang, back-to-back threes. Nine-point lead is now three. And I, thought that was the, I thought that was the turning point period of the game. Yes. The back-to-back threes got a little bit of momentum to the locker room, and then they just carried that into a monster third 30 quarter. 30-point third quarter, yeah. But Rufus Milner is the connective tissue that makes that whole team work. She's the player that holds that whole team together with her rebounding, her positioning, her instinct of when the ball's coming off the rim, great job of getting leverage against bigger players, and like she holds that group together in a lot of ways and you saw it without her against converse right etsu was a lot scrappier on the glass than they against converse than they were against some other teams that they had been dominating and 
Um, you know, now you're in a position where you're not going to have Rufus Milner. It's Ja'Kaia Davis and probably a little bit of Megan Downing at the five. Might even see some Journey McDaniel at the five. Um, just to you know, go with a five outlook and, and see how you can piece that together. Um, but yeah, JJ is a... Both of them are going to be uh, hard to patchwork through. I think given that they have some shooters on the bench, they can probably cobble together the three-point production to replace Courtney Moore in the short term between Malia Kurtner and Sarah Thompson and, and who they've got on the bench. Um, and even Journey taking a few more threes. But JJ is going to be really, really difficult for this team to replace. They do not have... So, it's going to be really tough for them to patchwork it together. Ja'Kai Davis is going to have to step up in a big way if this team wants to follow on from its really solid record-setting non-conference schedule uh, to doing something in SOCOM play. And it's it's a tall task that has been set before this group uh, with two key players on the sidelines. One um, for probably for the remainder of the season anticipated as being a season and an ending injury. And then the other um, optimistic for a return this year, but still nothing definite on a timeline or, or even the full extent of the injury for Courtney Moore. And I was going to feel sorry for the Bucks because they're going to go on the road and take on Jackie Carson and Furman on Thursday. Then they're going yep. to, uh, I don't know if Wofford's still going to be mad. I still want to talk about that for a second because the upset of really, I thought the entirety of the entirety of the SoCon play on the women's side was Western Carolina. Now, I, I mean, listen, you've heard me say it. Western Carolina football, right? I don't know what to do with because – they lose at home to the Citadel kind of after they had won a few games, got kind of rocking and rolling. Then they, you know, stopped Chattanooga from going to the tournament as far as the FCS playoffs by winning that one. Men's basketball, I, I just said it last segment, I'm, I don't know what to do with West Carolina. West Carolina women's basketball generally has been trying to fight to get out of the eight slot. And, boy, what a nice win for Kylie Hill uh, against Wofford. What was that, Thursday, right? And here's the oddity I want to talk about. So, Wofford and Western women's first quarter, 15-15. Second quarter, they each score 12. Third quarter, they each score 14. I mean, it was a back-and-forth game until you get to the fourth quarter, and then all of a sudden Western scored the first uh, four points. They go up four, and they just kept leading by four. Got it to six at one point, but that was it. They got it, you know, Wofford got it back down. Every time they got it to two, Western Carolina was able to get it to four, and, and they pick up a win, and it was a huge win. I think for Western Carolina, they come back and, and then Jackie Carson gets a win uh, against Western. So now there's only one team uh, that doesn't have a win in TTSU, which is shocking considering the non-conference and even some of the quality opponents. I thought ETSU had wins over in the non-conference slate. But Sanford's 4-0, Wofford 2-1, Chattanooga 2-1. Then you've got UNCG and Mercer at 2-2. Then the Purples, Furman at 1-2, Western at 1-3. ETSU at 0 and 3 and now uh, this week's games uh, you know because there's less in the women than the men we've talked about right there's two less there's just less room for error this is going to be uh, a pretty big week I think for ETSU even though they're road games because Chattanooga is going to play 
Wofford, obviously, ETSU and Chad are travel partners. Wofford Furman's are going to play the same two teams, but Chad will start at Wofford. ETSU will go to Furman, and then that'll flip on Saturday to be Chad at Furman, ETSU at Wofford. And then sort of the crossover game with a travel partner on Thursday is just UNCG in Western Carolina. Could Western pick up the second win in three games? It'll be the last of their three straight home games they've got. And then Sanford Mercer is a big one. Um, Mercer maybe starting to figure it out a little bit. Uh, I don't know if it's just a good matchup. Uh, you know, I thought against ETSU, but then, you know, they turn around and lose to uh, Chad on Saturday after knocking ETSU off Thursday. Chattanooga seems to figure out maybe on the women's side with Coach Poppy what they're doing there. But I think it's going to be a big weekend. Um for a lot of things, just because the number of games played and you'll finish sort of that first rotation uh, through the lineups or close to it. And I guess it'll be one more weekend, then they'll be fully through the first set of round-robin play. But, I mean, for ETSU, is 0-3. Those are a couple tough places in women's basketball that they've not been real successful at to go at. And as chat continue to roll, I think that's, that's really my question – Who's the pretender and, and who's the contender? If Chattanooga goes and picks up a couple of wins, they improve to 4-1. and one. Mercer, every time I think, well, maybe they've turned a corner and they got a win, then they dropped. I mean, and give Chat credit for, you know, losing to Sanford, bouncing back, getting the win. So I think there's a lot of separation going on there. And then for ETSU sitting at 0-3, I mean, they got to got to figure something out. And then uh, for Western, you know, could could they knock off a UNCG team at home and get to two and three? UNCG would fall at that point to two and three. And then, so the standings in the women are always a little difficult to kind of look at and what they're going to do just because of the, the less number of games. And they're just a little more – when you play less games, they're a little more important, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's pretty simple to find out. But that's sort of my take on this weekend of, uh, of women's basketball and – you know, I'll be curious, especially on Saturday, the Sanford-Mercer, because I think if Mercer wants to get back into the conversation to get to a, another regular season championship, they can't fall to Sanford to be three games back. And, again, the limited number of games that are going to be played on the women's side of things. And then for ETSU, I, I mean, they're all must win now. And because of injuries, again, nobody's going to feel sorry right. for you. I mean, Furman's not going to feel sorry for you. I'm certainly Wofford, who's – who's still angry from losing the, the Western game on the road is going to be angry. So, And then for chat, I mean, I guess my biggest questions are, can Mercer with a home game against Sanford – I believe it's a home game. Let me double-check that. Yes, it is a home game for Mercer. Yes. It's at home. Can they knock off Sanford, get back into the regular season championship hunt? And then for Chattanooga, if they pick up a couple more wins, I think you move them into contender. I, and I'm not saying they're they're in the uh, Mike, my medium range yeah. right now. They're not a contender, not a pretender, but they will prove to me they will be one of the other. My concern with Chattanooga is depth. If Yaz gets hurt, they're completely up a creek. Like they don't have anybody who is Gonzalez is gonna be really good. They don't have anybody behind Yaz on the perimeter. Nobody can pick up that level of three point production. Uh, suddenly, teams can just pack the paint against you and and deny Cornelius and your other bigs um, opportunities to score at the rim. And once that happens, bye. So like I would be really really anxious about the possibility of any sort of injury for any sort of length of time to really anybody on that Chattanooga starting five. That would make me nervous. Uh-oh. What are you doing? There it is. You worry about what I'm doing.
because I promised everybody on Tuesday, right, I said we would have news to share regarding yes. transfers. So you have you have multiple guys. I have the list of who is enrolled and on campus because we said now this isn't the completed list because there are a couple mm -hmm. more I've been told that are trying to get in by the end of the week so that they still can uh, which you still can enroll, still can get in there and you know there's you don't have to actually be done on Tuesday. So they're trying to work mm -hmm. on a couple more. But right now the four yeah. transfer portals uh, we start with – may I? Yes, you may. You, uh, stole, you stole Melissa. Go ahead. Luke Slusher, uh, the interior offensive lineman out of Western Kentucky who – Projected think, center or guard. I would say project at, at center um, and project comfortably at center. And he has, what, three years of eligibility He left. does have three years left, yes. Uh, Jamie Collier, the safety transfer from Ohio University, which we knew about um, because he had been announced already. And Zach Borish. The running back, uh, multi-purpose kind of Swiss Army knife guy out of Idaho is also here as well. And then we have breaking news. I don't think he announced it on Twitter. He, I don't believe he has announced it either. I can double check it real quick, but I don't believe he has. ETSU has added uh, redshirts freshman cornerback Khalil Anderson, a transfer from Pitt. Uh, the Bucks won him over over uh, Samford and Northern Iowa and Southern Illinois, among other offers. And I think that's big. If you believe the ranking system, he is going to be one of the more highly touted, I believe, uh, players to to come on campus. Um, and that's one that he came in during that little window where transfers only could come in. Right. And it's normally on a weekend, but he had to come in two days early. That's how he snuck on the radar because when I said – you know, I don't think we had anybody on that weekend. Uh, Coach Corals did correct me and said, well, actually, he was two days early. Mm -hmm. And on the first day, you could do it, not on the back end, which I didn't know. And said that he, he got the commit, but they wanted to wait because he didn't announce. So yep. I wasn't quite sure, but uh, obviously solid rating. So Khalil Anderson, um, a four-star recruit, according to 24-7 Sports, coming out of high school uh, two seasons ago. And he enrolled at Pitt in, 20, in summer of 2021. Um, he was the number 26 cornerback in the 2021 recruiting class. And he had offers from Pitt. He had an offer. I believe he had interest at one point from Michigan State. He did have an offer from Arkansas, um, Kansas, K-State, Miami. His offer at Minnesota, Mississippi State, Mississippi, Penn State, uh, South Carolina. So, I mean, he had robust interest and uh, ultimately decided to go to Pitt and believe he is coming here to play cornerback for a depleted CB's room at ETSU where he will, I, I have would to feel like, pretty much be in. the guy. Maybe He's pretty in. much the guy yeah. at uh, corner right now. It, it, would, it, it would be tough to imagine that he wouldn't be pinned in as a starter uh, at one of the cornerback positions. I would be shocked if Luke Slusher, Lucas Slusher, yep. uh, Luke, if you will, I think he just goes by Luke. Uh, yeah. Would be penciled in right now at center, and that probably be more in ink here uh, as things get going on. And then, uh, you know, Zach Borish. I mean, I think that's an interesting one. Will he be a running back? Will he be a slot? Will he be all of the above? Will he just be an athlete that they figure out what to do? Will he return kicks? But certainly they're going to try to utilize him at uh, whatever – position that coach corals thinks they need you know the help at but again i think he's one of those guys that could be a, a slash type guy 
where you just line them up diff- and figure out kind of like a notch card and figure out different ways to get them the ball. And for Collier, you know, I, I think, again, he's got a chance, again, to figure out if he can't get in the starting lineup as well, add some depth uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And then there is one freshman that has enrolled, and that was Jalen George, a high school kid out of Georgia, right? Lawrenceville? Yeah, that? Lawrenceville. Is that uh, Collins Hill High School? Yes. Yes. Uh, defensive end uh, Jalen George. So That's what we got so far. It's a um, uh, 6'2", He's going to be an outside linebacker for – Billy Taylor. I'm remember. still trying to effort, but uh, there was a rumor that uh, there, there was a huzzy on campus today. I'm going to try to figure that mm-hmm. out. Try uh, to run that down. Yeah. Yeah. And there were, maybe, there were, yeah. Maybe a number nine that's tall, uh, maybe mm-hmm. makes one handed catches occasionally. Maybe, maybe you got Moss to really like them, although he didn't know how to say his name. Because <laughs> he called him Hoosie. Who's he? Will Hoosie. Who's he? So we will, uh, we will, we will effort that. But it could be good news there on the uh, wide receiver front, too, addition uh, by addition. I agree. Addition by retention. See, it's why I hired you, uh, to use uh, English better yeah, than that's That's good. Yeah. Um, now the question, of course, is who's going to get all these guys the ball and who are these guys going to block for? Um, better question. Do these guys want to talk to us? Because I have – well, I have. I have not yet. I am getting ready to reach out to all four. <laughs> by the time the you hear this, Jay will have contacted all four of Correctly. them. Correctly. I would have talked to Slusher, Collier, Anderson, and Borish. Now, no offense to freshman uh, Jalen George, but we have learned – Let's give let's give the guy the chance to get his feet under him a he, little bit. He, he's he's foregoed his senior prom uh, to come to spring practice, and so we may want to give him some time to get acclimated before Has we, foregone. Whatever. This is who, nobody. This is me. why you hired me. This is, I know to use English. Yeah, we should bring back Dana's English language segment. I'm sure it's solid. It's in there. I, I mean, it's still in there. If it you is, want it. but now you got to do the legwork and find all the clips. Um, uh, well, which no, isn't that hard. You could literally go to about any uh, any show and randomly just pick a spot. And wait what if I just minutes. give you a word of the day? Oh my gosh! Hit it! Hit the bumper! <laughs> do it! Let's do it! Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Oh boy. He texted me at 2 in the morning. Please, the number 4. Ivory? And he never brought it up again. So middle of the day on a Wednesday, he sent me munch, no, no, from, from, no. Ain't no punctuation ever. He's got to have letters missing from his keyboard. I'm still trying to figure that one out, bro. The back end of two basketball games and a football game in the same weekend. It was a 6 a.m. email that said, Shoe runs my world. Curls, which either meant who runs the world girls, that Beyonce song, or was just a terrible shoe joke. Uh, I think that's the whole, it that's is. The whole thing. Yeah. Uh, I know we got the nice like bossa nova vibe. I love this. For thing. 11 minutes. For, but, why, did you, why did you need that for 11 minutes? Because by the way? this wasn't a weekly segment. This okay. was one of those that they built, and I, I never knew it was going to hit. Oh, but it no. would be built, and it would be like six or seven um, examples. Some would be actual on-air examples. Some would be text. Some would be email. Oh. Some would just be apparently because I, I don't. I refuse, refuse to believe that I said some of these things while other people heard them <laughs> that I don't remember saying. So sometimes uh, they just brought in guests to to have multiple people say, "Yes, I said this thing that I obviously." Because they had to have corroborating testimony, yeah. Yes, but I just feel picked on because they didn't, they didn't have that. The other stuff, it's kind of hard. Like, <laughs> um, how about how about a word? Um, I could, I could, I guess I could pick a word that's a little bit more, um, 
See, that's that's. Oh, you know what? Actually, sure. Let's let's do let's do two. Let's do two. Okay. Your first word is recondite. R e c o n d i t e. Recondite. This is a very formal word. I'd be imp- I'd be very impressed if you knew what this was. So recondite. Yes. It is an adjective. Okay. Part of speech. Okay. Yep. Yeah, let's, you say it as if that helps me. Um, I would assume that. Well, I, I know that if I didn't, you would try to use it as a noun. <laughs> That's true too. Yeah. Um, I, I think when I was going to knock down a building, I recondite that I should have. Does that not help? I recondite that we should not have done that. You didn't bring your truck with you, did you? So uh, uh. I would go with. Um. um. Recondite is mm-hmm. a formal word mm-hmm. used to describe something that is difficult to understand or something that is not known by many people. Yeah, like so, I'm not down that building. I don't understand how you didn't. Uh, I think I did that correctly. Would, would it be fair to say that the definition of recondite is recondite? Mm. I think so. Okay. All right. Another one. Um, paladin. This is one that's relevant to our audience. Paladin. That is a uh, medieval knight. Can you be a little more specific? Uh, that is purple. Sometimes. <laughs> a paladin is a leading champion of a cause mm. or a trusted military leader. As Rides for a, a white horse horses. normally in, in very hot days I think in Greenville, death. South Carolina. Is that um, not, am, I, am I still on the... Yes. All right. At least, uh, at, le- at least I got that. At least I got that. Yes. Or um, is in the ballpark. I don't know if I was exactly right. In the ballpark. You give me one more. What are we doing? Sure, I can do. I do one All more. All right, one more. One uh, more. Neve. I'm sorry. What? Neve. In uh, Brown. E- she's a guard on our team and really good. Yeah, her, her name is actually just Heaven spelled backwards. Oh wow. Yeah. Did not know. What That's how I. Because oh, I always get the A and the E transposed, and I have to. Fix is like, no, it's heaven backwards, and I have to think my way through it. Uh, N E accent, V E oh, accent, Neve. E accent. Yes. What was after that? V and then another E with an accent. N E V E with double accent. Yes, Neve. Okay. Neve refers to a field of coarse granular snow, but when used narrowly, according to Merriam Webster dictionary, it means the the partially compacted granular snow that forms the surface part of the upper end of a glacier. So have you ever been in a situation where like there's like that glaze, like you've got snow and like a donut? It, there there's snow and then it um like it, it rains a little bit and like the the snow becomes kind of icy. You, you've never experienced that? Maybe that's a no. I'm still trying to figure out the granular or whatever you said a minute ago. I may need a secondary. Well, it's like where the snow becomes kind of like it's very textured, and you can like. Is it coarse? Is it coarse? Yes, it's coarse. It's texture. It's coarse, and it gets everywhere. Um, It's. (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, But you can like like you step on it, and like the initial outer layer is like a crunch, and then it's softer snow underneath. That I kind of think is what neve means. Okay. So, yeah, I feel like I feel like I need to close the show after that. I think we do. 
Uh, also, um, University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota, where our good friend Mike Gallagher. The fight Mike Gallagher. Yeah, what's Galley doing? Um, the, they just announced a $75 million gift to build a new all-sports arena for their basketball and hockey teams. So if 75 mil, huh? Yes, Oof. in St. Paul, Minnesota. So if you know anybody that's got $75 million burning a hole in their pocket, please contact uh, Dr. Richardson. No, I'm kidding. $75. By the way, Dr. Richard Sanders is going to be on the Coach's Show Monday for the full hour. Hey. Didn't want to do a podcast style. He's going on live, full hour. Wow, he's ducking me. Yeah. Unreal. Upset about that. I may have you in the studio just to ask questions. Then he can't stop you. That's right. He can't. All right, we're going to try to line up the uh, four transfers. If we get any more transfers, we'll try to line those up. We're going to talk basketball coming up this weekend, sometime in the week, probably Thursday, maybe Friday. Buccaneers Sword Network. Oh, you got to be kidding me.